You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Well, it's that time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. Microdosing can help you get into a relaxed, focused zone easier and stay there longer. It has benefits for workout recovery, sleep, anxiety relief, boosting creativity, and even pain relief. You know, Jared, I have a really good friend of mine who saw that I was taking microdose gummies and she said, can I try some? And so I gave her some of the sativa strand and she said it has made such a difference for her at work and just in general, just feeling more alert and more focused. And it's quite amazing. So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome everyone to this episode of the Bible for Normal People. My name is Jared and as you'll notice, as we go through, Pete is not on today. But wait, wait, don't turn it off. Hopefully this will give me a chance to introduce myself uh, a little bit, give a, a background. And today, the topic that I'm going to dip into through telling some of my story is taking the Bible seriously, but not literally. And as you, if you've listened to the podcast, will become aware Sometimes or oftentimes we have guests on that Pete and myself will interview. Sometimes Pete and I have a, an episode where we just talk back and forth about a particular topic. And sometimes we each individually will share either about a particular topic or a particular text of the Bible. We saw this not too long ago for the first time when Pete got on and, and talked about some of the beliefs of the Israelites related to one God or many gods. So hopefully this is a chance uh, I can share some of my background. I'm not nearly as, as popular as, as Pete. So I thought I'd take this time to introduce myself a little bit. Uh, if we're going to understand my story as it relates to the Bible and, and religion, there's a few things to know. One, I grew up in a very religious household. My grandmother is a, a traveling preacher, uh, the Pentecostal charismatic uh, persuasion. And uh, my, my dad grew up pretty uh, Southern Baptist. I don't know what that means. I'll let you fill in the blanks there. But growing up in Texas, we were Southern Baptist for much of my upbringing. Now, about the time I was 15... 
for many, many reasons that we won't go into today, I was introduced to the idea of systematic theology. So at 15, while some people wanted to become doctors and attorneys, I wanted to go to Westminster Seminary and become a professor of presuppositional apologetics, which for those of you who don't know, which would be all but maybe 30 of you, presuppositional apologetics is simply, in one way or another, defending the faith against claims of atheism, agnosticism, naturalism, and many other isms that would come against the beliefs and tenets of biblical Christianity. So at 15, and a reason I pin it to 15 is because that was the day. That was the day, I, I distinctly remember, when I received my own copy, as many, many a young young strapping lad will remember the day they also received Wayne Grudem's Introduction to Systematic Theology. It was a college textbook, had a blue cover, and was about 1,500 pages long. Uh, what a glorious day. It wasn't even Christmas, but it felt like it. I started going through that. I spent my nights undercover of my friends, not letting them know of how much of a nerd I was, uh, listening to cassette tapes of Dr. Bonson, Dr. Cornelius Van Til, all of these thinkers in, in a particular uh, strand of thinking in presuppositional apologetics. So that was what I loved to do. I ended up then at Liberty University in Virginia. Again, growing up Southern Baptist. It's what good Southern Baptists consider doing, going to Liberty University. So I left my home in Texas, went to Virginia, and got a degree. Initially, actually, I'd gotten a degree, was planning to get a degree in math uh, to, before I stopped off to Westminster Seminary. Ended up in philosophy by accident. I uh, took it as a gen ed course and, you know, as many, many college students do, sat in that class and thought to myself, oh my word, you can major in this? You can get a degree in this? And so much to the chagrin of my parents and anyone who had hopes of me having a lucrative career in something other than academics, uh, I changed my major to philosophy. So I graduated there and went to Westminster Seminary. Now, to back up a little bit, when I was in high school and after I received my, my initiation, my Wayne Grudem textbook, I started going to a Presbyterian church uh, by myself. So my parents would have attended a different church and, and I wanted to go there. So still involved, actually probably in a number of churches at that point, but would have myself identified as Presbyterian. And so went to Westminster uh, I was Presbyterian in my in my theology throughout my time at Liberty as well, which didn't play heavily into things as a philosophy major, uh, but <clears throat> went to Westminster, a Presbyterian seminary in the Philadelphia area, and I went there again to get a PhD in presuppositional apologetics, and the first semester I was there, man, <clears throat> these uh, professors, they, I don't know how else to say it, but they were just to me, my opinion here, they were just jerks. Uh, I sat in the class and the, um, the, the arrogance and just the way of speaking about people who didn't understand these ornate theological concepts and 
the condescension toward people who didn't understand deep theological truths that were passed down from generation to generation, going all the way back from Adam and Eve through uh, Gerhardus Voss and Ritter Boss and Cornelius Van Til. And, of course, these guys who hold the absolute truth that only 37 people in the world know about. But uh, it just felt wrong to me. I don't know how to, to say it. It was a very emotional reaction, I think. And at that point, my world crumbled a little bit. Here I was, at this point, uh, 20 years old, had gone to Westminster for graduate school, for a, a master's degree, and had wanted to get this PhD in apologetics since I was about 15 years old. And all of a sudden, it, it didn't seem all that compelling anymore. Fortunately for me, at the same time, as I was bearing with these biblical studies classes, I mean, goodness gracious, why study the Bible when you can study systematic theology that fits into a lot of nice, neat little boxes? So I was bearing through those when it came to my attention that the faculty in the biblical studies department, and these guys, they were lovers, not fighters. They cared about people, the genuine and deep concern for the things that they taught from the Bible, from the things that they were talking about in their communities. Their theology was alive, and it was deeply rooted in the Bible. And that was compelling to me. That was exciting to me. And so I immediately changed my focus and specialty to biblical studies and just tagged along to these guys. One of my professors being the great, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, Peter Renz, but also uh, Mike Kelly, Doug Green, a host of others, absolutely fell in love with the Bible. I fell in love with the way that they were taking the Bible seriously and the surprising conclusions they were coming to and how, even though it was basically deconstructing and tearing apart all of the preconceived notions that I had of the Bible, their faithfulness in the way that they lived their lives gave me hope, gave me this sense that maybe having this one particular view of the Bible wasn't the only way to be a godly person or to be a faithful person. That maybe faithfulness in the way we live our lives and maybe faithfulness to the Bible could look differently than I had previously imagined. So it was a real turning point for me to see this faith in action while from from these guys and and women, although mostly guys, let's be honest at that point, these professors who, by all accounts, my upbringing would have said they were progressive, they were liberals, they were not to be trusted, that and if you held to these kind of theological concepts or to these understandings of the Bible, your life would not reflect the gospel. And they were a, a walking contradiction. They were saying things like, perhaps Genesis 1 to 3 isn't intended to be read as a historical account. And yet their lives were reflecting the gospel. And so that was a really important moment for me. And I said, 
rather than be like these guys, I want to be like these guys. And never really looked back. So I, I graduated from there. And rather than becoming a professor, I actually became a pastor uh, at a congregation of about 3,000 people. So there were, I had three primary roles. I was one of five teaching pastors. So we rotated. Our senior pastor would teach uh, more than the rest of us, uh, probably twice as much. And then we were all on a teaching rotation where we would where we'd preach on a regular rotation through uh, different topics or through different texts. I was also the pastor of what we call Serve, which was all of our ministry opportunities. And then I was the pastor of a smaller group. So I was the primary pastor, not of the 3,000. There were five of us who did that, but was the primary pastor of a smaller church within a church called Encounter. Again, this was common back in the late 90s and early 2000s to reach the millennials, as they would be later called, to reach a different generation, a different approach to the scriptures. Uh, And that was about maybe 300 people or so. So I was their primary pastor. They would have often probably considered me their primary pastor for a while. Um, Then I was a teaching pastor um, at this church. And through that, basically did that for four or five years. It was an interesting time, uh, primarily focused on on teaching, but the, the, the environment got to be pretty toxic, and my understanding of church and other things started to uh, not necessarily connect, and so ended up leaving there and became a professor at this point. And in Arizona at Grand Canyon University in North Phoenix, where my wife is from, so we moved our family. At that point, we had three kids, and our daughter would have only been three months old when we moved out to Phoenix from the Philadelphia area. And I taught philosophy, biblical studies, uh, primarily Old Testament introduction and the prophets as well, and uh, and ethics and various ph- philosophy courses in there, which again was more of my, my undergraduate background. And so I uh, taught a number of courses for a number of years. Absolutely loved that. And just to bring you up to speed before we talk briefly about the topic at hand and taking the Bible seriously, not literally, so we can close the gap in those years, eventually left being a a professor there at Grand Canyon University through this time in my mid-20s. I'd also started running and owning businesses Uh, marketing and communications, and various and sundry things that I could sink my teeth into, was invited a very great opportunity to start a school in Chicago, where we partnered with Stanford's D-School, School of Design, to help build a curriculum um, as a way to uh, replace as an apprenticeship-based school as a substitute or alternative to an MBA program. Anyway, for anyone who's interested, I'd be happy to talk about all that stuff. Uh, that's what I primarily do now is continue to run and own businesses. I'm a business advisor. I do a lot of other boring things that don't relate to uh, biblical studies, though you'd be amazed at how much of my work actually connects with my background and, and my past. So currently, as far as it relates to the Bible, I attend a Mennonite congregation up back here in the Philadelphia area. And I love my role at our congregation as being a 
facilitator of our Sunday school class and semi-regular Bible teacher for various uh, teaching series and uh, have led some Bible retreats for other churches in the area. Absolutely love still getting to teach. It's in my bones. I'll always be a teacher there. The only other piece I'll tag on to that is my relationship with with Pete. Uh, He was going through a similar leaving from an institution when I was also leaving my uh, pastoral position. We reconnected at that point and became good friends, talked a lot through that time as we went through our own um, kind of valley and re-faith formation and and recreation of of what it means to be a Christian. And through that, actually ended up writing Genesis for Normal People Together, which was published back in 2012, which was a wonderful opportunity for me. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. You know, Pete, I've been pretty emotional this week, and I was trying to reflect on why that was. And it turns out, you know, my best friend from college just died. My mom's been in the hospital, and I just haven't taken the time to reflect and process all of that. And it's been coming out in all these wonky ways, and that's exactly what therapy can help with. That's really been my experience with therapy as well. I've benefited tremendously from therapy, and I think lately I've been able to get to the point of why. It's learning to look at your situation more as an observer from the outside instead of just reacting to things, just thinking about it and processing the information. I find a lot of the problems become more manageable that way. And that's what therapy does for me. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BNP today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BNP. A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary, where students are prepared for a call to ministry. At Union, you will find a diverse community. You'll find students from different denominations and professors who will listen to you and challenge you. You'll find people who help you find your own path. You'll find a school where financial realities matter. Union offers generous financial aid, and it meets you where you are with three different platforms for learning, residential, online, and hybrid. You'll find a world-class faculty who will invest in you, a community long after you graduate that supports you and equips you for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzuk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for All People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret, if you're a listener of the podcast, how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People. It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu or email admissions at upsem.edu. So let's go back and just the th- a theme or thread that continued to go through my story ever since I was a kid is the idea of taking the Bible seriously, not literally. And this is a personal story for me, which is interesting. I tend not to share personal things. But ever since I can remember... I loved reading the Bible. I mean, I devoured that thing 
in high school. I would read it front to back, back to front, underlining, memorizing. My Bible had sticky notes in it where I would keep notes. I loved finding connections between this verse and that verse and this theme and that theme ever since I was a kid. And then as I got older and I began to teach in more settings, I think I was naive because I thought what we were supposed to be doing was take the Bible seriously and go wherever its conclusions led me to go. And I found out slowly over time through these painful experiences that that wasn't okay. What was actually sacrosanct or what was actually the dogma was a certain community's interpretation of the Bible. And if you dug too deeply, you might find yourself outside of that group. And when I was a pastor at the congregation I mentioned earlier, one of my roles was to teach a class called For Skeptics Only. So we had a lot of uh, believers whose spouses weren't Christians at all. And we wanted to make it a place because a lot of times church is a place where you can connect with your family. But if you have an unbelieving spouse and a believing spouse, it can get tricky. So we wanted to offer a safe place for non-believers. And we were very adamant about that. We would kick Christians out, actually. And they were often very easy to spot because they asked ridiculous questions sometimes. But we would, we would kick them out. It was, it was for non, non-Christians only. For skeptics only, it was called. And what I found out was over the years of teaching that class, more and more I would get people who would come in and say, well, I thought I was a Christian, but my mom or my aunt or my husband or my sister or my son, they told me that maybe I'm not because of how I read the Bible, because of the conclusions I'm coming to, because I'm a biologist and I accept evolution and think that that's how God created things. And so there were actually ended up being a confused group who wouldn't, who would identify themselves as Christian, but from a family or social group had been kind of kicked out. And they were there to check themselves and say, almost like a rehab, uh, there was an intervention on their behalf. and, And this was rehab for them that their family had recommended to them. And that was extremely painful for them. And so I had the opportunity to walk with them, walk alongside them, and not rehabilitate their theology, but rehabilitate their grounding in their faith to say, it's okay. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay not to know. It's okay to have this belief that is well within what Christians have believed and can believe over thousands of years. And just the sigh of relief to know that the Christian faith has a big tent, has a big umbrella, room for a lot of beliefs and a lot of things. So I share that because that's the part of that journey that I walked with others was, I wish someone was there with me when I was walking through that, when I was getting those painful looks or those uh, well-meaning conversations with a pastor who was concerned for my soul, who was concerned about the way that I was reading the Bible. And the confusion I had and the hurt that I had was saying, wait, I thought we were supposed to be authentic. I thought we were supposed to be honest. And honestly, this is what I, I, my studies and my understanding and, 
especially you know after after seminary when you have the different tools like the original languages and things these are the conclusions that that just seem obvious to me at this point and to and to not have a community to talk to about that was very painful so that's the context of this taking the bible seriously as I, I encountered this growing group of people who took the bible so seriously but not literally and their communities what they needed from these people was for them to read the bible literally and not to say that people who do read it literally aren't taking it seriously but i do think and what we're going to say is i think that's actually probably more true more often than not. So my encouragement would be that we all stop saying that we read the Bible literally. And that's for a few reasons. The main one I want to talk about here is simply that most everyone I know reads parts of the Bible literally and parts of it figuratively. And as we'll talk about in a minute, that says nothing about whether it's historically accurate. So literal and historically accurate don't actually mean the same thing in the English language. So we just want to be clear about what we're saying, because then then we can disagree, but let's just be clear on what we're disagreeing about. And I find the saying that we read the Bible literally unhelpful, because it's just inaccurate. So when you say there's parts of the Bible that are intended to be read literally. That means not figuratively. So, there are things uh, in the Kings, let's say, or in Samuel, that's a narrative. That doesn't seem to be a metaphor for anything. There doesn't seem to be uh, rhetorical devices in certain sections that give you a clue as to read this in some other way. But it's a literal reading of kings. That actually doesn't say anything about whether it actually happened or not. It just says that that's what the author intends you to read straightforwardly. It's not a metaphor for something else. It's not a simile. It's not a parable. It's not an allegory. It's a narrative. It's a story. So, and stories that didn't actually happen in reality can still have parts that are literal. So, when Jack in the beanstalk, and Jack goes up the beanstalk, and the narrative says, and Jack went up the beanstalk, that's not a metaphor for something. That's being literal. That's telling you a straightforward narrative. But then there's also parts of the Bible where it's clear that it is figurative. And that can be basic metaphors, like throughout the Psalms, when God is called a rock, or a fortress, or a shield. Right? So, if we said we read the Bible literally, and we mean the Bible, all of it, then we'd actually be wrong in doing so, because it would become nonsense. How can God literally be a rock? So that means he's composed of whatever the components of a rock are, and that's what God is. He's a rock. And then it would be less sense for God to be a rock and a shield and a fortress. How could you be all those things at the same time and in the same way? seems like a contradiction. But maybe it's metaphor. And so we do take the Bible figuratively, metaphorically, when it seems that that is what the author intends. And the same with Jesus and the parables, that that is a parable. And 
it seems foolish to expect archaeologists to go around wondering if we can find the remains of the prodigal son. Since that was Jesus' intentions was to make a a point, a moral point or some other immaterial point outside of a historically accurate event. So with that being said, I want to talk about what the alternative is. So there's there's two two things I think we often mean when we talk about reading the Bible literally. So again, I would encourage people who identify as those who read the Bible literally to maybe get a little more specific and try a few of these. So what I often encounter is what they really mean is one of these two things. So one, that the Bible is historically accurate when it's trying to record historical events. So a lot of people who say, I read the Bible literally, that's what they mean. That the Bible is historically accurate when it is trying to record historical events. Now, I know that's harder to say than I read the Bible literally, but with some practice, I think it would be, it'd, it'd roll right off the tongue. So, um, I think that's what a lot of people mean when they say they take it literally. They mean, I believe that large sections of the Bible were meant to be read as accurate historical accounts, and I also believe that they are historically accurate. Now, it's important to note what I did there. Uh, those are two different things. It's easy to believe that King's was meant to be historically accurate, right? So, biblical scholars who aren't Christians, who aren't believers, would almost all agree, uh, yeah, Samuel King's is recording what the author believes to be, in some sense, historically accurate, though even they wouldn't have had the same idea of historically accurate as we would. That's a, a modern invention of kind of the the recording from a video camera point of view exactly what happened since the ancients wouldn't have had a video camera and that's not really how they recorded history or or why they recorded history they weren't really interested in recording things as they actually occurred what would be the point of that it, it, there was always some agenda or propaganda or interpretation that's why that's what gives the recording meaning that's why you would record it but that's that's for another podcast Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life, and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago, and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose, and it's just my throat hurts, and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double-action combination of prescriptive-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. You know, I've been taking Claritin D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed.
Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever. We got our bushes in and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just call them bushes. But we got them in last night. And Fast Growing Trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point. It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you're in fifth grade, which is the exact instruction <laughs> level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process. This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. So the first step is, does the text actually want us to take this as a historical account? The second step would then be, do I actually personally believe that it is historically accurate as well? And again, have to be careful because what the author probably meant by historically accurate isn't the same as what we would mean today as historically accurate. But that's often what we mean when we say that we take the Bible literally, that it's historically accurate when it's trying to record historical events. And I think most people would uh, agree that that's what they mean when they say they take it literally. The other option, which I think is a little more dangerous, is that the Bible is clear and simple. This, this one's more dangerous. So when people take, they take the Bible literally, I found whenever I challenge that, they get pretty frustrated and flustered. Well, the Bible's just, it's just so clear. It's so obvious. It's so simple. And if you question the simplicity or the clear, what the Bible is clearly saying, then usually one of two things is true. You don't have enough faith. For instance, if you don't think that, if you don't think that Jonah was actually historically swallowed by a whale, but maybe it's parable, maybe it's an extended metaphor, and you actually think that that's what the Bible says, uh, is, is intending, well, but the clear and simple, the, as the argument goes, understanding is that, no, this actually happened in history. And if you don't believe that, you're just making up excuses. The real reason is you don't have enough faith to believe that God can perform miracles. Or the second is, you know, uh, when you don't want to take the Bible clear, literally, or that it's clear in what it's saying, it's because you have some moral failing or moral sin that you're trying to run away from or escape. That's been my experience. Again, it's not always true, but often this idea that the Bible is clear and simple is what people often mean when they say they read the Bible literally. Now, I want to just make a caveat with this because as a pastor, one of my great, the failings, I think that's probably appropriate to say, was thinking that everyone needed to understand the complexity and nuance of the Bible. And I would absolutely say that's not the case. 
I loved our episode last time with Dennis Lamoureux, where his humility about not wanting to disrupt or shake the faith of the saints, as he put it. I loved how he put that. That his, his, his role isn't to go into people's lives who feel secure and who are doing their best with the mental capacity and development that they have to serve the Lord, as he would put it. I learned that lesson the hard way. Being a pastor in their early 20s with a congregation of 3,000 was probably a bit too much for me to handle at the time. It's pretty arrogant, thought I knew a lot, thought I knew everything, and I thought everyone else, to be a good Christian, needed to know what I knew. So when I say that people who say they take the Bible literally, what they mean is that it's clear and simple. I don't necessarily, the danger in that isn't the clarity or simplicity that someone feels they have about the Bible. It's when they begin to impose or judge others who question that clarity or question that simplicity for themselves. So just important that I make that caveat because what I'm not advocating is to disrupt someone. I think of, of many of the older ladies in our congregation whose faith was simple and who lived out their faith in simple but profound ways. And it was about the behavior, and it was about the lifestyle, and it was about the patterns, and it was about the kindness and the graces and the, and the help and the support. It was about the living out of the faith and not the mental ascent to these beliefs about what the Bible is. That I have no problem with. But whenever we wield clarity and simplicity as a weapon against other people who are challenging it or who themselves don't feel it's so clear and simple. That's what I have a problem with. But the, another reason I would just say more basically for why this is a little bit dangerous is it often doesn't recognize we all have a filter. So when we say we read the Bible literally and if we mean that it's clear and simple, what we often mean is I don't read it through a filter. You're interpreting the Bible. I'm just reading the Bible. That is a pretty dangerous statement. We all interpret the Bible. We all have a filter. The Bible isn't clear and simple. In fact, we have a filter because it helps the Bible become clear and simple. It organizes the Bible for us, that filter that we use. Because the Bible is pretty messy. It has a lot of warts and nooks and crannies and contradictions and sideway paths and unclear statements and holes in the narrative and a lot of question marks. Just like a lot of other things, just like life itself. And so we bring meaning to it. We interpret it. We can't get away from that. We bring our own experiences. We bring our own mindset. We bring our own assumptions, our own culture. It's a relationship. And just like any relationship, it's a two-way street. And so I bring myself to it, and the text brings itself to it. And that filter helps us to organize and make sense. Uh, so we can respect that text, just like in a relationship. We can let it shape us and mold us and change our worldview. But we can also never escape the fact that we will bring a worldview, we will bring a perspective to the text. So overall, that's why I've gotten away from saying that I take the Bible literally, 
because I think it's unhelpful. I'd much rather, I found it so much more fruitful in my life to take the Bible seriously and not worry about whether or not I'm taking it literally. So, hope this has been a helpful discussion for two reasons. One, hope that it has helped you to get to know me a little bit better, my background. And secondly, to talk a little bit about this idea of taking the Bible seriously, not literally. I'd love to hear from you all about your experiences of taking the Bible literally, seriously, historically accurate, these broad brushstrokes, these one-sentence definitions of how we read the Bible and how they can be helpful or maybe not helpful. So I look forward to doing that. We hope to see you next time. If you haven't already, please check us out at patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people. There you'll find a lot of ways to engage us We have a Slack community for supporters who give $5 or more a month. That will allow for some of these discussions to take place. We would love to jump in on those discussions, see what's going on, and allow you guys to have those conversations with one another. We also have an opportunity to have hangouts with Pete and myself, as well as book studies that will start up next month where we're going to pick a book that's been influential to us or a recent book that we think is really good and we're going to walk through it with a limited number of people and actually engage in a discussion about the book. So again, we really encourage you to do that. We look forward to seeing you there. Patreon.com front slash the Bible for normal people. See you next time.